You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Brian Brock of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Office of Radio and Television. Glad to be with you for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. This week, we begin with a segment from Voice of Charity. Co-hosts Marie Jokum and Bridget Murphy spoke with representatives from Catholic Charities Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program and Employment and Training, SNAP and ET. Let's take a listen. What we are so lucky to be able to witness at Catholic Charities every day, um, but then highlight on this show are people who are doing the thing, right? These are our workers who are out in the field being those champions of truth, justice, and peace. And we are, we, Bridget and I, we were talking about this before the show, but we're so lucky, yeah. blessed, grateful, <coughs> all the words, to be able to shine a light on those people um, and on a program today that is all about all about those things, right? All about peace and justice and truth and setting goals and helping people build that confidence um, and their credentials so that they can obtain the next right step for them, um, specifically in economic independence. So we are so lucky to have some of those champions here on the phone with us today. The Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Employment and Training Program, which is a mouthful, but otherwise known <laughs> as SNAP, gives participants the chance to learn skills, receive on-the-job training, gain knowledge um, for navigating the work world. So here to d discuss this program are two ladies who we can't wait for you to meet. They work incredibly hard and are such passionate advocates for our SNAP participants. Kendrea Atkins is director of the SNAP Job Placement Program, and Tina Goodwin is an outreach enrollment worker for SNAP. Welcome, Kendrea and Tina. Hi, guys. Are you there? Yes. Can you hear us? Yeah. Great, just checking our, our tech. God knows things go wrong. Um, Kendrea, let's start with you. How long have you worked for Catholic Charities? And tell us about some of the positions you've held at the agency. Yes, um, so about 10 years ago, I started as a client in the SNAP program. Um, I've been with Catholic Charities now for the last five years. Um, I started as a job developer with New Hope Apartments program. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to Family Support Services and the SNAP program where I'm currently working at the Totem Peace Center in Austin, facilitating the SNAP job placement program. Kendria, would you share with our listeners a little bit about SNAP and sort of what that job training program is like and what it looks like on the ground um, for those who participate? Yes. So SNAP stands for Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, and this program provides nutrition benefits to supplement the food budget of needy families so they can uh, purchase healthy food and move towards self-sufficiency. The job training program provides individuals who are ages 18 through 49 who have no other income and are eager to obtain job readiness training. As we get them going in SNAP, we also uh, refer clients to other Catholic charity programs and services as needed. And SNAP combines a short-term training and work assignments as well as assist individuals with job placement to permanent employment. And the SNAP is funded by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, 
and is provided through a partnership with the state of Illinois and the Department of Illinois. So just yeah. a few just a few things you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Kendria, I um like a hundred years ago, back in the day, as the kids say, I was a job developer. And man, that is a hard job. I think, yes. you know, but what I always thought was so rewarding out of that was seeing people gain skills and gain confidence to then make the life they choose to make. I, I always thought that was so inspirational, but also you are inspirational in helping folks move along that. I was not very good at that. I'm better at the radio. But um, <laughs> what what kind of training opportunities do you share with your clients? And, and what are the things that they're interested in doing? Um, so here at uh, Catholic Charities, we, we've taken a poll and we found that a lot of vocational trainings um, include uh, they want to be certified nurses assistants, so they want to be CNAs, um, they want forklift certification in warehousing, they want to work in the hospital, um, de- dealing with different hospital programming uh, like first aid. Uh, we found a lot that like to work in uh, food service, so we offer the food manager certification and the sanitation licenses. Um, we found a lot that like retail, and so we've offered um, a retail certification course. And with the retail certification course, it can lead an uh, individual with the position into our week food stores here at Catholic Charities. And so tell us, we must have a lot of partners in this work, particularly corporate partners where we're able to connect participants to job opportunities and training. So who are some of those corporate partners? Um, to name a few, we work with Windy City Harvest. We work with OI Incorporated. We've worked with Cake Security, Linear Solutions, uh, Food for Thought, Speedway Gas Station, McDonald's, Crown Services, LG Hospitality. We work with Chicago Jobs um, and Opportunities Network. We, we work hand-in-hand with Transip, with Walgreens. Of course, with our inside um, our agency, we work with Catholic Charities WIC retail stores and the Catholic Charities Warehouse, as well as the Lunch and More programs. And then we've just started partnering with uh, uh, um, an agency called WIS International. Kendria, talk to us about the job readiness training. The, it's, it's soft skills and it's hard skills, right? Correct. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so um, the job training, we, we start out with what's called a career boot camp. This is about a two-week training that prepares individuals for job interviewing, how to dress for success, which we utilize Mary's Closet, which is a program offered through our agency that provides career clothing attire to individuals. Um, we teach them how to apply for, I'm sorry, um, we teach them how to apply for employment opportunities and how to turn the opportunity into a career. And then once the individual completes the career boot camp, they move on to one of the vocational training programs or onto an on-the-job training program or even permanent employment. And then once the client receives the permanent employment, we offer a year of career support to ensure they're remaining self-sufficient. What what does the support look like? Is that just sort of talking them through their week or any challenges they might be having with a coworker or a supervisor? I didn't realize that. Yes, so we do um, one-on-one coaching, and then we also do, like, uh, group settings where they're talking to each other. Sometimes we'll have the clients, they'll know the next day that they'll come in. One will be um, the interviewing uh, manager, and then one will be the interviewee. Mm -hmm. And so we get them comfortable with asking the interview questions as well as learning how to answer them, but getting more comfortable with seeing, like, a different face. Sometimes if uh, another... um, 
program is available, we'll send the client for a mock interview. That way they're interviewing with someone they've never seen before, and so they, they will get comfortable. We've um, had Fifth Third Bank to come in and do interviewings with our clients to get them acclimated and ready. So we do different things to get them. And then if a client just feels that they're not ready within that two weeks, we don't rush them out. We'll just continue to work with them until they get their comfortability of being able to interview. I, I really, this program is incredible. I think, you know, for any of us who've ever looked for a job before, it is scary. Um, I don't care how often you've done it. It is scary. It is hard. And you need a, a ton of support. So we're actually going to continue the conversation about support with Tina Goodwin, who is an outreach enrollment worker for SNAP and works on Kendrea's team. Tina, welcome. We didn't forget about you. <laughs> Can you share with us how long you've been at Catholic Charities and um, kind of maybe what's what are the things that you do when you're working with a SNAP participant? All right. Um, I've been with Catholic Charities for 11 years, and what I do is I actually find out who's, a, who's eligible for SNAP benefits. Um, according to the state's guidelines. And once I find that out, I submit their application, and um, we wait for the state to process it and make sure that they get their uh, benefits um, shortly thereafter. I mean, you know, it seems in some ways like a small thing, but to, to navigate some of our programs, both Catholic Charities programs, any other human service agency, and certainly government programs, um, is not easy, and especially when you, you might be struggling with other things in your life. So that sort of help we provide with paperwork and navigating and trying to yeah. understand the the challenges a person might be facing is not a small a small thing. Um, are there any common elements to what's going on with folks in terms of? I mean, certainly COVID puts a different um, lens on this, but before the pandemic. Um, is it people re-entering the workforce after a life event? Is it folks who've been long-time unemployed? Can you tell us a little bit about the circumstances folks are in? Um, well, currently, of course, the COVID. And um, actually, some days, if they're in the restaurant industry, you have a lot of new families on SNAP um, who are relying on SNAP. You um, Sometimes you have, yeah, you have a lot more people who are, who have been working and who have had work history are now relying on SNAP. But prior to the uh, COVID, there were a lot of battles. Um, there were a lot of, um, what I want to say, uh, uh, what do I want to say? There were a lot of things in a way <laughs> yes. as far as like navigating the system. You know, sure. they couldn't navigate the actual online system or um, you had seniors who couldn't do it or uh, who weren't familiar or not comfortable with using a computer because everything went online. Right. Oh, yeah. It's, it's been a struggle with uh, the confidence of using the, uh, the online system and just things changing, you know, maybe not having enough work. Just, yeah, it's always been about work and not making enough money. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just like to highlight, too, for those folks listening that that SNAP, the SNAP program um, is also what we would generally sort of colloquially refer to food stamps. So this is another example of that partnership um, with the government and with Catholic Charities where folks are receiving food stamps and we are helping, or these women are helping. Right. Um, I'm saying we to feel included. I have nothing to do with it. But where these women are helping folks find employment, right? So the long-term goal is that people are able to be self-sufficient. So um, just wanted to put that out there in case it was confusing for folks in terms of what, what people were signing up for. 
Tina, can you tell us a little bit, how long do clients usually stay on the SNAP program? Correct. And then do you stay in touch with them after they complete work with you? Um, normally, when I complete their application, it takes about anywhere from 14 to 30 days, up to 30 days at the most, for them to receive their um, benefits, um, their link card in the mail, and then they're able to use it. We stay connected to them about two weeks after that um, to just make sure that they have, you know, doing a follow-up, just to make sure that they have received the benefits that they were um, eligible for. Kendrea and Tina, Tina, let's start with you. You've both been at the agency for a while, and you've been in, in these particular roles for a bit. What What's most rewarding for you, or what's a story you remember? We always like to ask this question of our mm-hmm. guests. Who's a client you're particularly proud of? Well, I do have a client. Um, name is Teresa. She actually became a client because she became ill. She had, she became, um, she had cancer. So she was unable to work, and so therefore she wasn't able to receive the pay, you know, the paycheck that she was normally getting, but um, she qualified for food stamps. So she was able to feed herself, take care of herself, and um, she actually did well. You know, she, she came back, and she was just really excited that she was able to um, not worry about having to know how she was going to feed herself. So, yeah. And she also, um, and, and, and she went into remission. So that was a good thing. That is a great thing. We are yeah. we are grateful for that. And I think, you know, that highlights, too, just walking with people as we, mm-hmm. on the journey, right? So, Tina, you yeah. were with her during that really difficult time. And even yeah. if it was just for a short period of time, it can be life-changing. Um, so I, I really, really love that story. And, Kendria, how about you? In the last minute here, um, what do you like most about this job? Um, I love helping others. Um, my life goal is if I could help one person along the way, then my living is not in vain. Mm-hmm. So I just want to show clients that there's a better way. Um, I tell clients, you know, I don't help you, but I hope you, which is um, helping other people endure. Mm-hmm. So I hope people along, and that's what I love about the job, um, seeing that they all um, make it from out of um, not working to becoming employed to even finding a career. And so that's what I love to do. And that's just me. As Bridget said at the beginning of the show, champions of truth, justice, and peace. That is for sure you two women. And we are really grateful to have you. Um, and, And this has been an inspiration to all of us. You continue to be inspiring. And thank you for being with us. For more information about Catholic Charities and how they assist people in need and how you can help, visit catholiccharities.net. That's catholiccharities.net. Our next segment, Mark Teresi and Dr. Jim Rigg joined up to talk to some incredible people from Carmel Catholic High School about how they plan to participate in this year's March for Life. Here are some highlights from that conversation. I've just been so impressed by how our schools have adapted, by the uh, creativity and ingenuity that they have employed to continue in-person instruction and support uh, amidst COVID. And uh, we have uh, some guests from one of our uh, Catholic high schools that I think really exemplify that creativity and ingenuity. Uh, So we're joined this morning by some folks from Carmel Catholic High School uh, in Mundelein. And in addition to supporting students uh, in person this year, Carmel Catholic has put together uh, some adapted plans for the celebration of Respect for Life Month. Uh, And as part of that, they are hosting something called Move the Movement. The Move the Movement will be a drive-in 
socially distanced rally, which will feature inspiring speakers and an invigorating sense of community. Uh, so we're thrilled to have with us on the phone this morning uh, Dr. Brad Bottom, who is the president of Carmel Catholic, uh, Father Christian Shu, who is the uh, school chaplain as well as associate pastor of St. Gilbert Parish in Grays Lake, and also Mr. Brian Stith, who is the chief enrollment and advancement officer. Uh, so Brad, Father Shu, Brian, are you with us this morning? Yes, we are. Well, yes, good welcome. Morning. Thank you. Welcome. Well, great to have you with us. Why don't we start with you, Brad? Tell us a little bit about Move the Movement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as Jim, you, you had indicated, and uh, Mark, uh, we're really excited to host the event this year um, on on Carmel's campus. And, and what it'll entail is uh, just a spirited movement uh, drive to support Right to Life, um, where we will have a car rally. So much like you think of a drive-in theater, people will come into in, into the campus on on in their cars. And then have the opportunity to um, hear speakers, uh, obtain information, and really support one another in this important endeavor. So Carmel's really happy to to support it. Um, we have the support from the seminary across the street, uh, USML, uh, St. Mary's of the Lakes, as well as uh, City of Mundelein's helping us as well with some of the traffic control. But uh, we're really excited to host this event and uh, feel it's it's such an important, worthwhile cause. Well, when I was at Mundelein, I was there for 15 years. We built the library, did a lot of stuff up there. That's beautiful. Father Christian was a seminarian up there, so he should be very active in this event because he was a great, great organizer at the seminary. I was very always appreciative of the energy he put into anything he did. So welcome, Christian, good to, good to hear you. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for the uh, compliment. Um, thank you very much. What's your role? What's your role? Oh, go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. I was just going to ask Father Christian, what's your role in this whole event? Yeah, you know, thanks again for having me. And uh, I am uh, very honored to also serve at uh, Carmel Catholic High School in addition to being the associate pastor at uh, St. Gilbert, as you mentioned, Jim. And uh, I serve as a, a part-time chaplain at uh, Carmel. And uh, as a chaplain, uh, my role focuses on three particular areas. And uh, the first is uh, being there to provide for the sacramental needs of our students. So providing the sacraments, also being a celebrant of Mass when we do have uh, Masses uh, that, are, that are part of the, our uh, school schedule. And then also uh, the Ministry of Presence. And that's something that uh, we think is very important, uh, especially as, uh, as ministers, to uh, make sure that we're there, we're visible, uh, we're, uh, we're uh, sidewalk people, if you will, that we're hands-on, uh, as Pope Francis always emphasizes, uh, to be with the people, to journey with them, to accompany them, especially uh, in a spiritual life, on their journey of faith. And uh, so that's another big component that I take uh, very seriously in, in wanting to uh, be present uh, with our students in different ways, whether it's in the classrooms, uh, whether it's uh, outdoors uh, with the, the basketball team uh, at conditioning, uh, whether it's uh, in, in the uh, lunchroom, too. That's another, I find that's another great opportunity uh, during the lunch wave uh, just to walk around and mm -hmm. uh, to talk with students to see how they're doing uh, and to be visible and present there. Um, so the Ministry of Presence. And then the third component that we focus on 
uh, in campus ministry and particularly for me as chaplain is uh, pastoral care and counseling. Uh, so I also have an office, and uh, if students would like to reach out or if they want to talk about something uh, that's on their mind or heart or have some questions about faith, religion, or prayer, I, I also make myself available for that. Uh, and, uh, and also, as in that particular category, to be a part of the holistic uh, response team uh, in the event of emergencies, for instance, uh, we would all work together and, and respond together as a team. Well, uh, thank you, Father. I, you know, I'm a huge fan of having priests work in Catholic education, particularly at the high school level. Uh, not only do you bring your specific ministry uh, to the high schoolers, but you're such a wonderful witness mm -hmm. to them in their own spiritual formation. Uh, and many studies have shown that the best way to foster vocations uh, to the priesthood is to uh, have wonderful examples in the lives of young people amongst the priests. So we're, we're grateful for your service there at Carmel Catholic. And we need more like you. Yes, We need more I priests agree. serving in our Catholic high schools. So uh, maybe staying with you, Father, for just a moment, you know, the, uh, back to uh, Move the Movement. Uh, so obviously this is in conjunction with uh, Right to Life Month, uh, which is a very important time for us uh, as Catholics. Uh, tell us a little bit about why uh, the Right for Life is such uh, an important part of uh, your efforts there at Carmel Catholic in regards to religious formation. Yes, you know, uh, one thing that we emphasize, too, just as, uh, as you mentioned, uh, with the Catholic schools, uh, which is so important, we're able to tackle the social, the spiritual, and the moral uh, all together as we, as we uh, give witness to the gospel, as we uh, share the gospel with others. Uh, and the, the message of God's love for all people. Um, and uh, so I, I remember, too, uh, a lot of schools, I know we do at St. Gilbert School, <laughs> we have this nice plaque uh, that's by the uh, main office, and it says, Christ is the reason for the school. Uh, so that's our focus, and of course, and, uh, and in, the, in that holistic sense of, of having uh, the gospel be sown uh, in our curriculum and, and, and all that we do. Uh, but certainly, too, as we... Uh, preach the gospel as we give witness to that, uh, we emphasize how everybody is so special and important. Uh, every person is made in the image and likeness of God, and we hear that uh, right off the bat from the first book of the Old Testament in Genesis, on the first chapter. Uh, we're all made in the image and likeness of God, and uh, there is an inherent dignity, of course, uh, of every single person. And, uh, and that's something that we, we as sacred and cherish to know that, that God has a great plan for everybody uh, and that God is calling us uh, to also help uh, realize uh, a new society of God uh, that really looks like uh, love, peace, and justice, and tenderness and compassion. Um, but we, we do, uh, we're very passionate then about uh, emphasizing that inherent dignity uh, and respect for all people. Brian, you're doing well. Chief Enrollment and Advancement Officer, how is it going? Uh, in Carmel, in terms, of, you're probably sick of the question. How are the numbers? Uh, I'm I'm, uh, I'm delighted. I, I love the question. Um, <laughs> you know, we entered. You know, last last spring, uh, things changed in a way none of us had ever experienced before, and it was scary. Yes. For everybody, and in so many different ways, and um, you know, um, Dr. Bonham from day one here at Carmel Catholic has given me. Um, high expect he's 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 had some pretty big requests, but he's also supported me a great deal. 
great. And and he's allowed me to assemble a tremendous team to support the advancement of the mission of the high school through, through fundraising and obviously through enrollment. Um, I've spent most of my time here, 13 years doing enrollment work, and so I've been through the, the recession back in 2008. Um, challenging time, nothing compared to what we faced because not only were families facing an enormous amount of hardship, but you couldn't even get in contact with them. You couldn't sit down with them. You couldn't talk to them in person. You couldn't show them, you know, um, the difference of this school. You know, what, what's most compelling about Carmel Catholic and for a family to enroll their child here, it's not, you know, the statistics are, are, are great. They're unbelievable. But that, if you rely solely on statistics, ACT scores, college placement scholarships, you're truly diminishing the value of Catholic education. Yes. It's everything that happens around that, providing the student, you know, the foundation of knowing who they are, what they stand for, what they believe. And so when they go off into college and experience that pseudo-independence, not only are they being successful in their classrooms, or, you know, in their, their college coursework, but they're being successful in the remaining 80% of their time um, in making good, sound, and right decisions, staying connected to their faith. Um, so coming into this year, we knew that, uh, you know, we were at a disadvantage. We weren't able to showcase our school the way we want to. When, the, when We're in a hybrid model, and so the students are in the building, but we can't take tours through the building. We don't have a shadow day program. We can't put on an enormous open house. So my team and I, uh, we put on about 60 mini programs this past fall, and we anticipate another 60 mini programs this coming spring. And, um, and the, it was tremendously successful. Um, you know, on day one of the entrance exam, which was December 5th this past year, we were, we were 40 students over last year, uh, on, on March, on March 13th, when, when kind of the world froze in admissions, our, our total testers, we were sitting at 313. And as of today, already we're over, we're over 330, almost a 340. So we're, we're continuing to pad the distance over last year's numbers, which is just tremendous. So I'm happy to talk about that all you'd like. (laughs) Dr. Jim. <laughs> well, and, uh, and thank you, Brian. And in the meantime, I know there's a, a lot of other, you know, really exciting things happening at Carmel Catholic, yes. uh, you know, above and beyond what's happening with the pandemic. Uh, and uh, Brad, uh, maybe for a few minutes, uh, talk to us a little bit about the uh, Advantage Carmel Initiative. I know that you've done some work on the Welcome Center there at the school. You have a new uh, Strength and Conditioning Center uh, some new um, kind of areas where you're displaying religious artwork. So tell us a little bit about some of the other improvements happening at Carmel right now. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, Jim. Uh, we put a lot of investment and a lot of time and energy, and we had a lot of support uh, from donors to really um, invest into our students in, in providing a, a strong, very uh, holistic educational experience. So a lot of what Brian had said, and he does a tremendous job, but for us, it's all about care and love for the individual student, that every student knows that they're valued and they're significant. And what we wanted to do is provide a learning environment and a culture and a feel within the school that where the student truly understands that uh, they're cared for and they're loved. So uh, the, one of the first things that we did is we took every classroom at, at Carmel Catholic. Instead of having it be in a classroom, we said, okay, we want to turn this into a uh, a very warm uh, learning environment. So we purchased all new uh, classroom furniture, which they can move around and feel comfortable and and have have, you know, have that excitement. All these different colors. 
we, we carpeted, we, we added new paint, uh, incorporated technology. So we completely transformed um, what I would say almost like a very sterile classroom into a warm learning environment, which would spur questions, allow feel, students to feel comfortable, and get through all of that. Another big emphasis for us as well is obviously is the understanding and the knowing that Christ is at the center of our education and, and why we stand for it. So we, we put artifacts around the entire school and the community to help students understand and realize that they're not only within a school, but they're in a faith-built environment in which Christ is at the center of our culture and, and what we're all about. So uh, various religious artifacts, we put a lot of investment into a warm environment, into a new welcome center, and, and just understanding in the feel is that when they walk on campus and they see the statue of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, they see the statue of a welcome Jesus coming in, that they're in a, they're in a place much more than just, quote-unquote, a school, that they're in a, a true family, a community, in a faith-filled area. Uh, another big investment, as we did, was uh, a brand-new fitness center for our students. You know, the students go through so much stress and so much anxiety, and we wanted to be a place in which they could, um, you know, learn some life skills. You know, whether they're an athlete or playing sports or not, uh, it was not important. It was most important to them. For us, is that students be allowed to work out physically, socialize after school or before school, and just understand that as well. And then some other things that we did, we put a, a ton of investment into a new engineering lab, uh, a couple years ago, uh, we were honored with winning the world championship in our robotics program. Wow. Uh, and yeah, we won several state titles, but uh, these kids won the won the world championship. And um, so it it just brought a lot of uh, uh, attention to that program. So students have a true love for math and science and working with their hands. Uh, we put an investment into that as well. So. Um, we did a, a lot, and the whole focus and the idea was, okay, we are going to invest in our students and provide them the best learning environment possible and, and allow them to flourish and achieve their greatest potential. So that was the whole idea behind Advantage Carmel. And we were very fortunate to have a lot of our board uh, and donors support that. We put a lot of work into it. And uh, the school is just the physical structure and, the, and, the, and just the feel is just completely transformed. And we're pretty excited about it. I think this is a great chance just to um, to promote the school in general. Brian, are are you still registering students for next year? And if so, if a family is interested in Carmel Catholic, uh, how should they get a hold of you? Absolutely, great question. Thank you, Jim. We we are still registering students. We will continue. I'm sure through the spring and into the summer. Um, all are welcome. Uh, if they have, if a family is listening, if parents are listening, and they have any questions, please give us a call. We're happy to help you in any way we can. 847-388-3418. Again, 847-388-3418. We've got three people in the admissions office, so we will pick up your calls, and we're happy to help. And one and last... A, a, a website, too, Brian, if you Sure, would. absolutely. www.carmelhs.org. And one last reminder about the Move the Movement event. Yeah, absolutely. This Sunday, um, the website is available. Uh, we welcome you, all families to come and, and uh, drive in. It's, a, it's socially distant, very safe. Uh, the Cardinal will be there, several 
guest speakers as well, and uh, obviously very excited about hosting that on Sunday afternoon on the 17th. You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio, 9.50 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. Every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m., the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Here's a reminder that you can listen to our programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.archicago.org. That's radiotv.archicago.org. And our radio programs are available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. So subscribe today. There's a lot of good going on in the world of Catholic schools. Dr. Rig and Mark are joined by representatives of St. Andrew School to talk about a special initiative they did to help a fellow school community. I'm just so impressed and grateful with the extraordinary work uh, being done by our Catholic school uh, teachers and principals and, and support staff members and others. And, um, and I think our, our next guests are a great example of that as well. Um, due to the pandemic last month, uh, Saint, the St. Andrew's School and Parish Community uh, was unable to host their annual hats and mitten drive for families uh, at St. Mary the Lake and St. Thomas of Canterbury schools. And so the, the St. Andrew community realized other vital essentials were still needed and decided to raise money instead. And so St. Andrew uh, School uh, was able to present St. Mary of the Lake and St. Thomas of the Canterbury uh, with uh, $9,500 to assist their school community with groceries and other essentials before Christmas. So a wonderful effort by St. Andrew uh, and I believe we have some representatives on the phone with us. Uh, Liz Vincent, who is the former president of the St. Andrew School Board. Uh, Julie Richard, who is an events coordinator at St. Andrew. Uh, Sarah Kasavichia, I hope I said that right, assistant principal at St. Andrew. And, uh, and Christine Boyd, who is the principal of St. Mary of the Lake and St. Thomas of Canterbury. Uh, so is everybody with us this morning? Hi, yes. good morning. Yes. Hi. Welcome, welcome. Great to have you. Why don't we uh, start with you, Sarah? I'm sorry if I butchered your last name there. I, I know we know each other, but I don't know if I've ever actually said your last name out loud. <laughs> so, Sarah, apologies up front, but why don't you tell us kind of at a high level a little bit about this, uh, this effort, the Hats and Mitten Drive that turned into uh, this fundraiser. Yeah, so we've partnered with St. Mary of the Lake for the last several years, um, St. Andrew School and St. Andrew Parish, and it started out as the Giving Tree. Nothing, the Giving Tree, um, our parents and parishioners got together and bought hats and mittens and gloves for the students at St. Andrew. And this year, with everything going on, we realized um, that there was still a need and that um, we decided that we could raise some monetary gifts um, in lieu of the hats and mittens. So that's what we did, and we were very proud of how our um, school families and parish families came out, and they raised over $9,500 for St. Mary the Lake. Beautiful. And, uh, Christine, tell us you know, a, a little bit about the community there at uh, St. Mary the Lake and St. Thomas of Canterbury. Well, basically, the community at both schools 
are very high poverty immigrants. Most of our families have just come within the last three years from either Ethiopia, Eritrea, or Somalia, mainly countries in Africa where there have been issues of famine or war. And so they come to this country once they're sponsored by an agency, and then the agency carries them for six to nine months, puts them in an apartment, and they have to be on their own financially. And this has been very difficult during this pandemic because most of them have jobs as either Uber drivers or Mm -hmm. hotel maids or in the service industry. So we have over 70% of our school families are unemployed. So that's really the issue for us this year. It's always an issue, but worse than ever this year. So we were very grateful to receive the donation from St. Andrews. But we did ultimately, with their money, was buy every student um, a little gift thing of uh, socks, and we put the rest into um, Aldi and Target gift cards for food. Beautiful. On the last day of school, which was December 18th, um, through the school at St. Thomas, adding the St. Andrew's donations with others, we distributed over $15,000 in Aldi and Target gift cards so people could have enough food because of the terrible insecurity with the unemployment ending on the 26th of December. Wow. Now, Julie, you coordinated this event? Um, I have to, it's a little um, truth and telling here. I love St. Andrews. I don't know if you recognize the last name, Teresi, but seven of my nephews and nieces are graduates of St. Andrews, and they just love their experience there. It's a wonderful, wonderful school. But, Julie, how, how did this event get coordinated? Maybe some of our listeners would, uh, would love to know so that they can do this in their school or their parish for a, um, a sharing program. Sure. Um, good morning. Um, good morning. Yeah, so Mike Teresi, I do remember the name. Mm-hmm. Um, very familiar with the family. Uh, few of them were trouble. Few of them were troublemakers. I think. No, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was before my time. Okay. Um, but in any event, definitely recognize the family. Uh, so we started this initiative many years ago. I want to say that we're in our sixth, and and Christine, you can keep us honest with that. Um, our sixth year, I believe. Uh, that we wanted to partner with uh, a local school um, that was very close, in fact, to our demographic. And uh, we chose St. Mary the Lake and St. Thomas of Canterbury for that reason. Uh, We've developed over the years a a wonderful relationship with them, not only with the Giving Tree, but other initiatives um, that uh, our students share. But uh, when we started this, uh, six years ago, let's say, um, we wanted to make sure that we could help close uh, during the very cold months of Chicago uh, in December, uh, January, such. Um, and so we wanted to be able to um, offer these school children hats, mittens, scarves, socks, really any combination. Um, our families were told to go pick a ornament off of the trees, Christmas trees that were standing in the church and in the school. Uh, those went like hotcakes, and uh, all of the children's names uh, were spoken for.
families go out and spend no more than $25 on each child so that it was equitable. And what we wound up receiving was just an, um, an amazing gift um, where every single child, every single student of both of those schools uh, were able to receive a gift of either socks or mittens uh, for Christmas each year. So we have been doing this gift drive now for six years or so. This year was very different because we were having to deal with the pandemic. Um, collection issues were an issue. So we decided instead of doing the mitten drive um, that we would just do a monetary drive and be able to give the, uh, the onus over to Christine uh, to be able to purchase whatever she thought her kids needed most and families needed most. So that's how we did it this year. Um, but it's been a, just a wonderful experience yeah. over the years. Now, Liz, you're the former president of the school board, Saint Andrew. You're a volunteer. Yes. How are yes. you? How are you? First of all, thank you for volunteering. And secondly, how are you connected to this whole project? I've loved the opportunity uh, to get to volunteer, and especially on this project, I feel like it's one of the volunteer opportunities that I cherish the most, um, and really working with Julie to coordinate all our volunteers on the project, um, especially in years, um, every other year but this one, where we have a physical giving tree where our community members pick ornaments off the tree in both our church and our school, coordinating, making those ornaments. We have a huge parish community event after Mass in November in most years where families make the ornaments, the paper ornaments for our tree, and um, each St. Mary of the Lake, St. Thomas of Canterbury child gets a name on that ornament. Uh, and so I'd love to ask both Sarah and Christine an important question about this effort, starting with you, Sarah. Uh, what, what do you hope that students at St. Andrew's School learned through the raising of these funds uh, for the students at St. Mary the Lake and St. Thomas Canterbury? Well, I hope that they learn that we have a responsibility to um, our fellow people here um, and that they are students of spirit, study, service, for sure. Um, they learn about giving and how good it feels to help others. And uh, what about you, Christine? What do you hope your students learn? Basically, I hope that our students learn that in the Catholic school that we have care for their whole being. When we have children who, for example, go to Thanksgiving, that since their parents have lost their jobs, they eat less, that that is of, of very high importance to us, that the children, when they go home and when they come to school, have a sense that there's a connection, that we care about their whole person, and that and that it's not just the people physically in the school, but it's the broader Catholic community has care and concern for them. It's very difficult to just singly think that a child is, is only a student, a child is a child of a family that may be in need, and those needs have to be addressed be, before, really, we can even deal with the educational needs. So that's what I hope that our students learn, that they always have a place to look 
to for assistance in, in their real significant life. St. Mary's and St. Thomas, you're still accepting money and gift cards, right, for the families oh, in need? Oh, yes. I mean, we have been, I would say that almost half of our work in the office is social work. We are dealing constantly with parents, helping them do unemployment papers, and, and we just got some more gift cards, and they will go out. They go out as quickly as, as we get them in. I always do maintain a small reserve for emergencies, but you know this is this is a very big aspect of the school. It's always an aspect of the school, but it's probably fifty percent of our office time is based on on these donations and getting them out to the right people. A special thanks and blessing to all the representatives of Catholic schools who are keeping things going during the pandemic. For our final segment today, we are from Clarissa Algentera from the Department of Lifelong Formation. She sat down to talk with Bishop Perry and Father Gerard Jordan about Father Augustus Tolton. If you were to, just so our listeners get a better sense, and so I get a better sense, if you were to sum up Father Tolton's spirituality, what would that be in a couple sentences? Or many sentences, I guess. <laughs> we'll let the expert on that speak <laughs> to me. So Bishop will definitely be able to, because I just enjoy when I hear it. I can't hear it enough. All right. I want to hear it. Well, to sum it up in a couple sentences, I, I would couch it as a great perseverance and stamina in the midst of adversity and struggle. Uh, given the, um, the social deficits that were part of our country in the 19th century, on into the 20th century, on into the 21st century, um, he, he was unique in the, in the sense that he carried a huge cross, being the only one, the first one, uh, living and working and ministering into a climate that was really poised not to accept him. In this country, no one had ever seen a, a Roman collar around the neck of a black man before. And so it, it, it proved to be something of an anomaly in the majority community and, of course, a new sensation in the uh, uh, black community of that time. But the structures and the institutions of that time were just were not poised to accept or receive the gifts or the talents of a, of a black person, a black man, uh, even the church. And somehow he plowed through that, and at the end of it, given his rather short life, his death at the age of 43, um, his faith and his hope, his love for the church was still found to be intact, despite it all. That's what I would say. It's, it's great stamina and perseverance. Uh, not everyone has those kinds of gifts mm -hmm. uh, to plow through life that way without giving up. I I'm on the same page with Father Gerard. <laughs> I think I can. I can just listen to it <laughs> time and time again. It brings me such joy when you know I get a clear understanding of the gift that Tolton gave the church in Chicago and the church in America and, and now has the, has the opportunity to be a universal figure for the church around the world. I mean, if any time that we need such a saint, 
is now when we can, you know, take that gift of spirituality and apply it in today's world. I just love hearing it. I love living it. I just am so excited. So if someone who, you know, given the reach of what you want to do with a center, um, kind of moving beyond, you know, the the area and the geography of Chicago, and I know some people do know about um, Father Augustus Tolton, but, like, how would, you know, people outside of our local area, how do you feel like they would receive his spirituality and how would we, you know, what would make them interested to kind of learn more about the center and about his life and even, you know, to use the two words stamina and perseverance? Well, well if I could just say that we're going to follow Father Tota's model. First, we're going to start in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And and that's where his work began. That's where his focus was. And so too will ours be. And we hope that the learning experience that we have from the initiative and the cohorts that belong to the learning initiative that buy into the program of learning, that once the learning takes place, that we can take those lessons and the values and relationships and the belief that we've been able to strengthen in in the program here in Chicago, then we can say to others around the country who have a strong African-American presence in their pews, this is how we think that you can also affect your congregation to begin to not uh, only survive in this day and age, but learn how to thrive in a post-COVID-19 uh, parish. So that's the beauty of it locally um, and then the, the gift of it nationally. Yeah, no, that's, that's, definitely, um, that's definitely beautiful. Uh, I'm kind of curious. Um, uh, one of the things we like to kind of one of the beauties of having a a nice long show like ours is we can really kind of do some storytelling and I'm wondering if either or both of you have a really personal story that you want to share around Father Augustus Tolton either like of your own witness or is there something about his spirituality and his life um that I mean you know outside of the work you're doing like how does that how does that speak to you and how does it affect how you minister um, in Chicago, as, as both, you know, like African-American men who wear Roman collars. Your Excellency, please go first. <laughs> A personal story. Let's see. I think I probably would rephrase that as to what story, what chapter in his life or what narrative in his life most impresses me. Mm-hmm. Um It's probably um, prior to his coming to uh, Chicago, Chicago kind of rescued him in the name of um, Archbishop Patrick Fian, a southern gentleman from Nashville who became the Archbishop of, of Chicago um, in about 1888, uh, 1889. And um, prior to him coming to Chicago the week before Christmas of 1889, uh, Tolton, that is, um, he was back and forth with letters to Rome trying to ask permission to find some other diocese to go to because uh, where he was in Quincy was becoming pretty emotionally intolerable, uh, especially by the uh, whispering campaign or the machinations of a neighboring uh, Catholic priest. And... um, when you read uh, Tolton's letters that have survived <clears throat> history, uh, 
you find that he is very, very hesitant to to uh, accuse the priest, who was really unduly harsh, uh, unduly harsh and most disrespectful to Tolton, calling him names that we would not speak in public today, um, because he found him unacceptable. Uh, there were white Catholics who were attending Tolton's masses voluntarily, wanted to hear his sermons, and they were touched by his his ministry in that. And uh, there was nothing the pastor could do about it, except he complained about people's contributions to Tolton's very, very impoverished parish. And um, and asking permission of the Roman authorities to make a transfer. He stopped short of accusing his accuser, uh, who just was almost uh, satanic in the way he he targeted uh, Father Augustus. Um, given his his uh, soft personality, his gentleness, and his great respect he had for the church that rescued him in his youth, educated him and saw to his ordination as a priest, he saw the Catholic Church as the instrumental means, which he mentioned any number of times, uh, to rescue uh, the situation of the black race in this country post-Civil War and Reconstruction. Because there were no public, no public programs, there was no welfare, there was no public assistance for blacks at that time. And there was nothing to help them assimilate themselves into mainstream society after emancipation. They were just freed and left to be treated haphazardly in our society for the longest. And um, so Tolton dedicated himself to the poorest of the poor, almost practically in almost like Mother Teresa fashion on the south side of Chicago, which was made up of a lot of poor Irish and many freed blacks, runaway slaves, former slaves, trying to make a way out of no way in 1890s Chicago. And he threw himself in that and made himself a priest of the Archdiocese of Chicago and did that to the best of his ability until he collapsed at 35th and Ellis Street here, just a block or two from the Meyer Center and um, was taken away from us rather prematurely, so we, we, we believed. Father Gerard, I would like to ask you the same story of, like, is there uh, a chapter or a time in Father Augustus Tolton's life that really resonates with you or something that, you know, is a, a personal encounter, even an experience with, with Father Augustus? Well, I can tell you that what attracted me most is when my spiritual director and mentor, a priest, Father Al McKnight, introduced Father Tolton to me as a little boy when I thought I wanted to become a priest. And uh, Father McKnight made me, <laughs> he used to tease me that I, I would beat him to church in the morning so I could serve Mass as an altar boy. And uh, oftentimes he had to kick me out because I didn't want to leave. <laughs> and he said to me, he says, why do you like saying this so much, young man? I said, I just love being around the altar. Uh, he says, you're a Eucharistic being. I said, oh, really? He says, I'll, I need to teach you about other men who are Eucharistic beings. And he taught me that Father Tolton loved the Eucharist, that he 
as a boy was an altar server and as a priest everything began and ended with the liturgy and 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 the I learned as I got older that that was one of the gifts of totem's uh, spirituality in the church where the liturgy, the Eucharist, the source and summit of our faith allowed him to stay mission-driven. His relationship, uh, you, you would see throughout totem's life, as I learned about totem as a young boy and as a young man and now as a priest, the one thing that always comes to mind and always is a clear picture to me is his love for the Eucharist and celebrating the liturgy, and then going from there to preach and actually live the gospel. Uh, whether he was trying to re repair broken relationships or renew good uh, new relationships um, or, or ensure that the relationships that was going on at the time could have some positive effect despite any troubles that was going on. Because I, I realized that Father Tolkien's mission-driven attitude that began at the altar every day because he was a, a priest who would celebrate the Eucharist daily. And his preaching, for you to be able to stand in a, a, a church and preach the gospel, and then your life, you can actually give evidence that you practice and, and live the, the gospel you preach is just beautiful. And he, and he did it at every turn um, when they would invite him to come as a celebrity, he showed up as a priest who would first celebrate Mass and then preach. He didn't want to be the celebrity. Um, and he was able to replant regularly along the way and grow a church in Chicago and then help grow the, the uh, national black presence of Catholics around the country in the beautiful relationships because he was mission-driven. And that has helped me a lot in my priesthood today. Uh, to stay mission-driven in the pastoral work I do as a parish priest and to stay mission-driven in the work that Bishop Perry allows me to do as his assistant for the cause. And so no matter what I do, I always try to begin and end with the liturgy and the Eucharist, and I try to stay mission-focused because the relationships, whether they're broken or, or new, you can you can just count on those relationships to, to endure, and, and it's just beautiful. If we, if we understand that the, the uh, church's catechism and that the church law requires that we keep God's commandments, in keeping God's commandments, we have to understand that inspired by a life and legacy of Father Tolton, that's what he did. He kept the commandments along the way. And, and he, with those commandments, the, he took the characteristics of his, his parish life and his life in Chicago, and he used that to inspire people to renew them and to go beyond renewal so that transformation could take place after the renewal. We close today's program with an important reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish-language Mass at 10 a.m., and Pull Vision for televising our Polish language mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thanks for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio 950 and 930 a.m. I'm Brian Brock for Catholic Chicago Weekend Review. Have a great weekend, everyone. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Weekend Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.